Well, you can go ahead and take out uh, your sermon outline. Uh, made a mistake last week, I made a mistake and put the wrong passage on the front. This week, I made a mistake. I put the right passage, but I put the title from last week's sermon uh, on the front of it. So uh, the actual title for this week's sermon is this, A Killer Sermon and a Shared Mission. Okay, A Killer Sermon and a Shared Mission. We are now into Acts chapter 20. As Pastor Nick mentioned earlier, our annual business meeting will immediately follow the worship service. Why would you stay? Why would you stay for a business meeting? Maybe you're a member, that would be a reason to stay. Maybe you're not, you can stay even if you're not. I would stay because of a number of reasons. One, because of what you see happen in like an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning is just the tip of an iceberg. We know that God is at work in many places and many lives around our church. You get even just a little glimpse into some of that, some things that none of us can be involved in everything in the church, but it's good to come to a meeting and hear about how God is at work in a different area of the church and something you might not be involved in. We have some business to take care of. There'll be a financial report a constitution change to vote on, voting on church officers, welcoming new members, looking ahead to 2022. So all that stuff happens in a business meeting. And that kind of stuff to you might not initially seem all that engaging or interesting. But all of that stuff is really a key piece of the bigger picture of what God is at work doing in our local church through our missions partners. So as I preach through books of the Bible... There are some passages, and you do this in your own Bible reading, that seem like super engaging and immediately applicable. I would say last week was one of those passages where a very engaging passage that seemed very immediately applicable, and God used it. And if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and and listen to that sermon from last week. But then there's other passages that don't seem quite so immediately engaging or interesting, and maybe not so immediately applicable. This week would be one of them. As we walk through all of the Bible, we don't skip parts. But I think if we step back and look at the bigger context of the passage we're looking at today, you'll find that this passage is actually a lot more applicable than we think. And I'm grateful that God has us in this passage on this day when we have a business meeting after the church. Let me just set the stage really quick with the big picture. Remember that Acts is the sequel to the book of Luke. It's about how the work of Jesus continues through Holy Spirit-empowered believers who are preaching the gospel, first in Jerusalem, and then they went out to Judea and Samaria, and then they've been out in the ends of the earth. That really started in chapter 13. And what we're going to see in the passage today is some of these people from the ends of the earth churches are going to be traveling back to Jerusalem. And today, really, in many ways, is like a travel log. Well, they stopped here, and then they went here, and then they went here after they went there, and just that kind of stuff. But what I think we can see if we look at it is that we're seeing that the church of Jesus Christ consists of not just one large church, but many local churches. And those local churches, whether they realize it or not, in this case, they're starting to realize it, are actually on a shared mission together. They're working together toward a common goal or common mission And as most of this kind of travel log takes place, we expect normal ministry is happening in each of these local churches. Kind of in the middle of the passage, though, we've got a travel log kind of on both ends. But in the middle of the passage, there is an account of what happened in one of those towns, which quite literally was a killer sermon. So 
I don't know if that's what I have for you today, but that's what uh, happened in Acts chapter 20. If you're able to, would you please stand? I'm going to pray and then we'll read the Word of God. Oh, Father, what a, what a gift that we can even do that, that I can say we're going to read the Word of God, that you have, have revealed yourself not just in nature, but you have revealed yourself in the gospel, particularly, specifically in your Word. And so we want to sit under the authority of your Word because it is your Word. And we thank you that it was inspired by your Holy Spirit and that the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead now lives in all of us who believe, and I pray that your spirit would be at work, convicting, reminding, encouraging, even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples and After encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean and son of Pyrrhus accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene, and sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos, and the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Amen. You can be seated. So there in your bulletin is that sermon outline, uh, and that might be helpful for you as you take notes uh, to stay awake uh, so you don't fall asleep as I talk still longer uh, here in just a little bit. I mentioned that it begins, and it sounds an awful lot just kind of like a travelogue. We went here, we stayed this long, we went here. Then these people came with us, and we went here. That's kind of what's happening. But I want you to make a couple of observations. There's a lot of stops and a lot of miles covered in just a few short verses. Up on the screen, it's going to be hard for you to see. Uh, It looked a lot nicer on the computer screen right in front of me than it does on the screen in here. But but you can kind of see here... uh, 
in, in blue there is Ephesus. That's where we left them at the end of chapter 19. So Paul and some others are there in the city of Ephesus. And where they're traveling here is up through Macedonia. That would have included the churches that he had planted and started there in Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. You remember that from his second missionary journey earlier in the book of Acts. He's now on his third missionary journey, but earlier in that second missionary journey, Paul had stopped in those places, planted churches. Now he's going back to visit them once again. Those are circled up there in red. And then it tells us, what is he doing while he's there? Verse 2 said, he gave them much encouragement. That's what Paul is doing. Not so much evangelism at this point. He's going back to the churches that have been established. They're doing the work of evangelism and discipleship. And now Paul is going back to bring encouragement to them. And then he's going to make his way from Macedonia onto Achaia or Greece. So what we did last night in our family worship time, I, just, I was reading this and had the kids kind of follow along in a map because you kind of have to do that. In the back of your Bible, you probably have a map probably labeled like Paul's third missionary journey. You can just kind of trace all of this that way as well. One thing that I think is interesting to note that I found out, because you don't read it right here, but I found out as I was studying this passage is that Paul is, is going to uh, Greece here uh, staying in uh, for three months. Did you read, did you see that? Uh, where is it? Verse three. There he spent three months, okay? So he's staying likely the winter as they kind of look at what's happening historically at the time. He's, he's spending the winter there in Corinth. By that time, Paul had already let, read, written the letters, first and second Corinthians. While he's there, he wrote another important letter. Some people call it the most important letter ever written. During that winter, while he's doing all of this work of encouraging the churches and that kind of stuff, he wrote the letter to the Romans. Okay? So, so when you're like, we're just reading a travel log, we're not recognizing while he's there, he's writing scripture. Right? So, so that's what Paul is doing while he's with these churches. And then verse 4 gives us this list of people. Paul doesn't usually travel alone. Remember early in the book, Paul was traveling with Mark and Barnabas. Then there was a disagreement, and then Paul started traveling with Silas and then Timothy. And we've noticed throughout the book, remember the author of this book is Luke, and we've noticed that occasionally he'll all of a sudden start talking in the first person. So, so he'll start saying we and us rather than they. right? So, so sometimes we know Luke is joining them on their journeys as well, and we're going to see that in the passage that we look at today as well. But if you start adding up all of the people that are together with Paul on this journey, there's at least nine of them. And what we learn from looking at other passages of Scripture, Luke doesn't give us all the details right here, but we look at other passages of Scripture to piece everything together in books like 1 Corinthians and Romans, and we find out what's going on here. That there is, I'll try to explain it uh, succinctly. The gospel started in Jerusalem, right, and went to Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Remember that the, the, the church in Jerusalem still exists, and it's mostly Jewish believers. The church in the ends of the earth is mostly Gentile believers now, but also some Jewish believers. 
Now, as Paul goes around to these places, what's happening historically is that the Christians there in Jerusalem are experiencing increasing persecution, okay? So it's harder and harder to be a Christian. Part of the impact is economic. It's hard to do business when you're a Christian and you're the minority who's being persecuted, right? So there's, there's economic needs there in Jerusalem, and there's also still a skepticism in Ju- Jerusalem about Gentiles becoming believers. So what Paul is doing on this third missionary journey, he's intending to get back to Jerusalem, but on the way, he is picking up from these churches two things. He is picking up an offering from the churches, and he's picking up representatives from these churches. So so verse 4 here is just a list of some of the representatives that were going with Paul. So Paul is now traveling with a load of money and a number of representatives from all of these ends-of-the-earth churches so that they can go back to Jerusalem and let them know, hey, we love you, right? The church started here, now the church has expanded here, now the church out here is coming back to Jerusalem, and, and the church is sending out some of their best men, some of their leaders, to go and do this important mission, right? They're trying to encourage one another, encouraging the church in Jerusalem with not only a gift of money, but with also this reality that, hey, God is at work even among the Gentiles in the ends of the earth. So all these are on their way back to Jerusalem. As they do so, they're just kind of doing everyday normal ministry, encouraging the churches, teaching the word, taking up an offering, praying, making plans, all of those kinds of things. And so there's, there's, you know, moving, uh, you're going to go ahead, this group goes ahead, Paul's coming up behind. Another very practical reason that it would be good for Paul to not just take an offering, but also take a group of people with him, is for security. Right? We just kind of think like, oh, he just like got on the bus. Like he didn't get on the bus. He traveled along some pretty, pretty rocky roads, literally, and also roads that were filled with people who would love to take somebody's money. So he's not traveling alone. He's traveling with a group of people, and they're taking with them an offering that they're going to bring to the church there in Jerusalem. This is uh, all throughout modern-day Greece and Turkey, if you're looking at a map. So a group of people from many different local churches partnering together on mission to encourage other local churches as they go. Kind of a neat idea. So... Just a quick point of application with this is this. The church there was growing rapidly and spreading far, but the Christians were always still the minority where they lived. And they needed to be encouraged that they're not alone, just like we do. Remember when the pandemic first started and like everything just got like kids aren't going to school, restaurants are closed, all of that kind of stuff is happening. We just longed for being with other people. Like we we didn't want to think that we're alone. And so we were kind of hungry when that stuff started happening again. We were extra thankful that, hey, look it, we're not alone in this world. That's not only good for individuals, it's good for churches. So our church, for example, is a part of a group of churches. We, we kind of are locally autonomous, so, so the members of our church govern our local church, but we partner together in a denomination called the Evangelical Free Church of America. That's a good thing for us, and we're a part of its central district. It's good for me, I'll just tell you this, it's good for me to know that as a pastor, I'm not alone. So so when I first came here, I got together with other pastors once every couple of months in our area. They were an encouragement to me. Now now that's a group that I get to lead, a group of area pastors uh, coming together just to care for one another. 
If we as pastors, pastors determine that we could use some counseling, our district will give that to us free of charge, right? So, so there's things that are beneficial for me personally and for Pastor Nick as pastors in a denomination like the EFCA. It's also good to be a part of a group of churches because sometimes churches are struggling. And if you're struggling and you're kind of all alone, then how are you supposed to get help? We have some people in our district staff who help churches that are struggling, help churches that are growing. They've helped us in the past. It's good for students, too. A lot of uh, people were gone last week, high school students, Pastor Nick and some other leaders, were gone last week at the Impact Conference. That happened, that's put on by the EFCA Central District. There's like 600-some high school students gathered together. It's good for high school students who are often the minority as Christians in their school to have a weekend where they're together with fellow believers. That's encouraging, right? It's encouraging for the church to realize we're not alone. It's good for communities to realize, hey, there's not a gospel church here in this community. The EFCA Central District plants churches in communities like that. So um, we also have lots of missions partners. They need to know that they're not alone. Uh, The Carters were here just a little bit ago. That was a great encouragement to me and hopefully to them. Uh, Send out a thank you from them. Some of you uh, might might be determining, hey, we're going to individually support them in addition to what the church gives to support them as well. Just before COVID hit, I mean like literally just before COVID hit, like the day that everything shut down, we had a a group of people from our church scheduled to depart for Romania. They may still be there uh, if they had gone, but they weren't able to go. We still have money then in this mission savings account ready for when things open up more and we can send a group to encourage Mandy in Romania. The Oye Bares, we've done all sorts of even extra things this year in addition to what we've normally given them that raised the roof project. The churches will be here in February. So we have all these people and then local missions partners. All their little logos and stuff will be up on the board. But it's good for churches and believers to know that we are not alone. It's encouraging to know that we're not alone. And so that's, I think, one thing we see in these opening verses. That's what's happening as he travels from church to church. Now, we're told that in one of these spots, Troas, he spends a week. They're going to spend one week together there, and they're going to use that week for all that they can. And on the night before they depart, we zoom in in verses 7 through 12 on what happened on the night before they were about to depart from Troas. Well, let's notice a couple of things here. Verse 7, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread. First of all, note this, that we're accustomed now to churches, Christians all around the world, our gathering day, the when for our gathering is Sunday, right? This is the first time in Scripture that we have that mentioned, okay? Historically, churches coming from, most people coming from a Jewish background, their Sabbath day was on Saturday, and so Presumably, that's when most of the churches were still meeting, but here, the church is meeting on the first day of the week. So they're meeting on the first day of the week, a tradition that continues to this day, and what are they doing? Well, it says they're breaking bread, they're eating together, okay? And they're listening to Paul teach. That was central. Remember, they don't have the New Testament in their hands yet. And so if they're going to hear the word of God and the gospel, they've got to hear it from one of the apostles. So they're just, they're just hungry for some teaching. Tell us more, tell us more. And so that's exactly what Paul 
does, taking full advantage of their time together. They're gathered in an upper room, it tells us. It says Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And in verse 7, it says he prolonged his speech until midnight. Okay, they probably started gathering in the evening, and they kept going until it was midnight. And there was a lot of lamps there in the upper room where, notice, uh, Luke is now with them. He's saying, we, where we were gathered. Okay? And then there's a problem. Like, that sounds like really good stuff, right? That's a good thing. God's people, hungry for the Word of God, gathered together late into the night until there's a young man. And when that word is used, young man, uh, that's usually referring to somebody between the ages of 8 and 14. Okay? So, like, upper elementary middle schooler uh, is there. He's soaking in the Word of God, like for hours, right, being taught. They're just kind of soaking it in. Um, But the problem is he gets a little bit sleepy, right? It says, a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep, and then Luke notes, as Paul talked, still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. So a high meeting place and a young man falls three stories to his death. It's literally a killer sermon, right? But then we read in verses 10 to 12 that death isn't final. Interestingly, Luke the doctor is there and he's not the one that goes. He might look out the window and be like, yep, he's dead, right? Luke doesn't, Paul goes. So Paul, the one teaching, goes down uh, to where this man has fallen bends over him, takes him up in his arms and says, don't be alarmed, his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he just goes back, it's like life group, right? We can go back and have some discussion, have a little more discussion, eat some food. He conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. They didn't even, they didn't even sleep that night. Go up till midnight, the young man dies, he's resuscitated, They keep meeting all the way until daybreak. And then it says in verse 12, And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. So, what's the application for us in that section? Is it, don't fall asleep during my sermon, you might die? Like, uh, um, somebody's nudging somebody right now, like, hey, are you okay? Listening for breath and feeling for a heartbeat, you got a pulse, right? That's not probably the best application. Maybe a better application would be, let's be a church hungry for the Word. Right? I love that about the church in Troas. Like, well, hey, if you're leaving, let's let's get as much teaching as we possibly can. Does that mean we're staying up till midnight? Bring it on. Does that mean we're not sleeping tonight? We're sticking around until daybreak? Bring it on. I want to hear. I want to be hungry. And maybe the application for me as a pastor is like, if you're going to prolong your speech a long time, don't be boring, right? Don't let them fall asleep. I actually have this book. I brought it with me. I have this book called <laughs> Saving Eutychus, How to Preach God's Word and Keep People Awake. Uh, it's a book I got uh, early on when I started preaching. And there's a window and there's like the shadow of a young person falling. It's kind of uh, interesting cover. But I don't know if that's the most applicable application. I think the one that I want to bring to you is I want to notice this that the result of everything that happened there in Troas, did you notice it there in verse 12? Was that the church was comforted. The church was comforted. 
God's power over death brings comfort. Do you believe that? God's power over death brings comfort. Death is tragic. It's painful. It was actually one year ago, I just looked this up, it was one year ago this past week that our church gathered together outside the barrack home to sing with Amber. Remember that? A number of you were there. Stood outside in the snow. They had made the decision that Amber was going to just not have any more treatment and be on hospice. She would pass away uh, about a month after that or a little less than a month after that. But our church gathered together in her yard with her one last time. She died and there was grief and there is grief. But the truth is that God's power over death brings comfort to the church. Right? God's power over death brings comfort. Eutychus experienced the resurrection that brought him back to where he had been. He was a young man before he died. He was raised and he still had his same young man body, right? But all of us who trust in Christ are told in Scripture that we too will be raised from the dead, not to our old self, but to a new resurrection body. Jesus says this in, Matthew, or in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. And then he asks the question, do you believe this? Do you believe this? That's a good question for Jesus to ask, and it's a question that I'll ask. Do you believe this? Do you believe that the moment a believer dies, our soul is with Jesus in heaven, and when Jesus comes again, our dead, decaying bodies will be raised from the grave to a new life forever with Jesus in a resurrection body? Do you believe this? God's power over death brings comfort. You're scared of death. You know what happens if you were to die today? I'll tell you the good news that God's power over death brings comfort. Now, I won't comfort you by telling you that everyone goes to a better place after they die, because not everyone does, right? That's how most people try to comfort each other. But the fact is that most people reject the gospel and after death they go to hell. That's not comforting, but it's true. The gospel is that all who trust in Jesus, though they die, yet shall they live. God's power over death brings comfort to a local church. And then in verses 13 to 16, Luke gets back to the travel log and the pace picks up. It seems likely that they would sail during the day and then stop at a port for the night, and then the next day they would sail again to the next port, right, and stop again for the night. But then verse 16, the final verse of the passage today, is actually pretty interesting. Here's what it says. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus. Remember, that's where he just had been. Remember how long he spent there, over two years, Right? Over two years in Ephesus, and he loved the church there in Ephesus. Ten years later, he would write a letter to the church in Ephesus. He loved them. But it said, for he decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. That's the region that Ephesus was in. Well, if he loved the church there, why is he avoiding them? Does he not like them anymore? Does he not care about them? Well, that's not the case, as you'll see in the passage that I get to preach on next week, which I'm really excited about. He still loves the church there. In fact, it's probably the fact that he loves them 
that he avoids them at this point. You, you have people in your life where you're like, hey, if I start talking to them, it ain't going to be quick. You have people, like, have you ever avoided people on purpose because you have a mission? Like, I, like okay, confession, I've seen some of you in the grocery store or Walmart before, and I've avoided you. Uh, <laughs> you've done it too. Don't look at me like that. You've done it too. Because, like, I'm on a mission. I got I to gotta get my sausage or whatever, and I got to get back home because people are waiting, right? So, so, so we've done that, right? Like, man, right now, my mission is clear, and I just, I, I mean, I love being in a small town, and I love talking to people. So most of the time, I just talk to Hartwigs. I just ran into Hartwigs at Hy-Vee yesterday, right? So I just talked to them. So like, I love, but there's sometimes it's like, man, I love them, but I, right now, I just got to keep going. And I don't, I don't blame you if you talk, like, you don't have a short conversation with me. So it's okay if you pretend not to see me at Walmart or Fairway or whatever and, uh, and just keep going. That's, that's fine. I might call you out, uh, but that's fine. That's kind of what Paul's doing here, right? Why is he avoiding the church in Ephesus? Not because he doesn't like them. He loves them very, very much, but he's got a clear mission. And it says in the rest of verse 16, Why? For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Paul, having a larger mission and a key strategy in mind, his larger mission being, we've got to get this offering and all of these representatives, we've got to get them back to Jerusalem. And his strategy is, I want to get there when there's going to be a lot of people there. And on the day of Pentecost, there will be a lot of people there. So he's just kind of doing the math in his head and looking at a map and thinking how far they still have to go. We don't have time to stop in Ephesus. We got we to gotta get rolling, guys, right? So that's what's happening. A clear mission keeps them on course. They're headed to Jerusalem. It's kind of interesting, uh, maybe just one thing to point out here, is that remember that Acts is a sequel to Luke. And the turning point in Luke's gospel is Luke chapter 9, verse 51. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, and Jesus turned toward Jerusalem. And the rest of the book is Jesus on his, he's still doing ministry, but he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he makes it clear to his disciples he's on his way to Jerusalem to die. Right? That, that there's a lot yet to do, but Jesus is going to Jerusalem to die. Interestingly then, as Luke writes the sequel here the book of Acts, we've got this spot where Paul makes it his mission, I need to get to Jerusalem. That's not where he's going to die, but there is kind of this sense as you go through the rest of this book, even in the passage we look at next week, that Paul is anticipating things aren't going to be going well for me from here on out, right? If I'm going to keep doing what God wants me to do, if I'm going to stay on mission, that's going to mean suffering and death for me. And he makes that clear to people. I can't wait to preach on the passage that we look at next week. But I think it's important to note that the mission is clear. The gospel has spread from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And now these ends of the earth churches are recognizing that the church in Jerusalem is in need. So they're circling all the way back. And they're going to be there to give them a gift and to encourage them in any way they can. I love the clear mission that we see for the church in Acts. And Joe, so just a quick closing point of application. We have a clear mission as a church. For a long time, way before I was here, the church has said, here's what we're doing. <laughs> we're want to, we want to know Christ and we want to make him known. That's what our mission is. 
We want to do that here. And here's what's happening. The number of people we're discipling is growing. Another thing that's happening is your giving has been generous. So our bank account is growing. And so as leaders, we're asking questions like, oh, what should we do? (laughs) Right? Well, we know what we should do. Our mission is clear. We are to know Christ and to make him known. We, We do that through supporting missions partners who are doing the same kind of work, knowing Christ and making him known through churches in other parts of the world. So, so, so that's something we're remaining committed to, but we're also now asking the question, well, are, are there ways that we can expand gospel ministry here locally? What, what could we be doing here locally? That's something we're going to be looking at in the time ahead. Maybe a couple more details on that uh, if you stick around for the meeting here in a little bit. But in all of it, here's the deal. It's easy for a church to get focused on doing all sorts of stuff and lose sight of the mission. Why are we doing what we're doing? We're doing what we're doing to know Christ and to make him known. So I hope you can stick around for the meeting to hear a little more of how the church has been carrying out its mission in 2021, looking ahead to how we're going to do it in 2022. But before we get to the meeting, I have to stop talking like Paul still longer. Uh, I don't want any of you to you know, fall asleep and die. Um, so let's just uh, let's close in prayer. God, thank you for putting us in this church. Thank you for giving this church a clear mission. Thank you that we're a part of a much, much bigger picture of what you are doing throughout history and throughout many places in the world. Would you, would you help us as a church to stay on course? Thank you, God, that you are sovereign over all things. I pray that our church would be comforted as we remember the gospel truth that you have power even over death, which we see most clearly in the resurrection of Jesus that gives us hope for our future resurrection. And God, thank you that we as individuals and as a church are not alone. Thank you that we have one another and thank you that you are sovereign in, as we're just going to sing now, in our greatest joys and in our deepest cries. That you are with us in the calm, in the storm, in the dark, So it is fitting for